ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite our distinguished speaker, which is Irina Tuckerman. Irina is a human rights and national security lawyer based in New York, and also she's a fellow at the Arabian Peninsula Institute. She runs a boutique national security law practice, and she's a member of the American Bar Association's Energy and Environment and Science and Technology sections. Well, Irina, and welcome to the missing piece. Thank you so much for the invitation. I appreciate it. Irina, as we mentioned before, what happened over the weekend to the nation of Israel—it's rather devastating and also saddening, not just to the people in Israel, but also to the entire international community. Now, someone says that because of the Israel's what we say a system failure, and that provide loophole for Hamas to attack the nation of Israel, and also some believe that Israel is quote. Overconfident and complacency, and unwilling to imagine that Hamas could launch a cross-border attack like this. I want to get your reaction, and why do you think it's happening today? I think intelligence failure is one of the factors involved here. I think there is other factors. I'll get to them, but let's look at these. Two issues: intelligence failure and complacency. Without a doubt, Israel has the capability to gather uh, very accurate, very informed intelligence, uh, and uh, there there were red flags that Hamas was preparing uh, for some uh, for for some escalation. Uh, the first sign has has been its participation in Ramadan attacks, which were essentially a smaller version of what happened. Uh, there was a massive ra rocket attack, and there was also an instigation of local violence inside Israel, including rocket throwing uh, attacks at the, at the Al-Aqsa mosques and various riots in Arab populated uh, communities uh, inside Israel. So at the very least, we knew that Hamas was certainly prepared for attacks for specific occasions. It has already done so earlier this year, and there was no reason not to watch it. Moreover, only weeks before uh, this attack, um, Israel intercepted a shipment of explosives from Turkey into Gaza, which was another red flag uh, pointing towards a preparation uh, for some sort of a for some sort of a, an operation at the very least. Uh, why would Turkey be sending explosives to Gaza when Erdogan has claimed to restore ties with Israel and uh, uh, had participated very actively in conversations with Israeli officials? That's a bigger question that we can get to later. But the fact is, the red, the red flags, the signs were all there. As, as in the Israel... Uh, no matter how complacent, has the general intelligence habit of gathering and listening to conversations and chatter. This is normal, regardless of whether you expect something to happen or not. So for sure, when you have a huge operation like what happened planned, mm -hmm. it takes at least a number of months, if not longer, and hundreds, if not thousands of active participants, something is going to break out. You will have that intelligence. Now, what happens after you have this information? Is it going to be accurate in terms of the timing, location? Is it going to be, are you going to be, will you find the sources reliable? Will you be able to share 
intelligence with other agencies in time to put together the information and to understand that this is more than just theoretical uh, discussions, really able to get approval for what you need to prepare in advance. Are you looking at the right information? Are you analyzing it the right way? Did you draw the correct conclusions from what you're hearing? Now, those questions that are yet to be answered, but I'm not sure that complacency alone is enough to understand what happened, because if, no matter how complacent you are, if you have actionable intelligence, uh, you are going to be following up on it, you're going to be looking into it, you're going to be preparing. Mm. So what could go wrong? Any number of other things. You may not have enough resources allocated to handle it quickly enough. Mm. You may have conflicting assignments that force your hand to be somewhere else, even if you're dealing with an emergency here, and it could be any other uh, any number of things. You could be misdirected uh, towards a particular uh, key piece of intelligence that uh, distracts you or misleads you to take some a different sort of action. You could be dealing with internal resistance, uh, indecisiveness in the face of a critical situation. You could be dealing with pressure from your allies. In 1973, Israel was fully aware of an impending Egyptian attack, but it was warned by the United States not to take preemptive action. Mm. You could also be dealing with traitors, malls and saboteurs inside your agencies that have prevented relevant agency, uh, relevant intelligence from moving to where it should be. None of those things have anything remotely to do with complacency and everything to do with various forms of failures at various levels that could combined lead to that particular outcome. Combined with that, that once those things have already failed, uh, the response is going to be affected because if you are completely not prepared for anything happening, you're not going to be able to respond quickly enough and figure out quickly enough. And there's going to be confusion. And uh, if the operation is planned well, as it was, you're going to be disrupted at every level from the beginning to the end, which is what happened apparently some of the uh, terrorists were very, uh, obtained military or police uniforms. And uh, once Israelis uh, on the ground, local security uh, forces at various locations, they were misled into believing those were other Israelis and did not react quickly enough. So uh, those are just some of the factors uh, that uh, that can lead to this. Uh, situation, but that still does not explain in total uh, this element of complete shock and surprise mm. at an institutional level. And it also doesn't explain the seeming silence from allied intelligence mm. uh, groups. Uh, Israel has a number of logistical and intelligence partners from around the world uh, who deal with many of the same problems, not just because of Israel or agreements, but because these actors are bad actors who cause problems in other areas. So the fact that no one seems to have known anything puts the onus of uh, responsibility on the international community because Hamas is a global actor. It's not just a regional actor. It has announced its intentions uh, to cause harm in other countries after boasting about Iranian support. So this is an international problem. It's not just Israel's problem. So the failure well, it affects Israel disproportionately 
also impacts everyone else. And the question is, why has no one raised this uh, issue publicly? Because beyond Israel, it has a potential to affect many, as it has. There were non-Israeli citizens impacted by the situation. Irina, again, you mentioned so many significant points, but again, one of them, indeed, Hamas is not just a Israel's issue or it's not just a threat that poses to Israel, but also it's a threat to the entire international community. Now, also, as we mentioned in the intro, current Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu declared that this country is officially at war. Now, I want to get your take and also to evaluate his performance how do you think that he's going to handle this crisis on a personal or on a professional level? And believe me that, again, this is a real test for Benjamin Netanyahu. I mean, we believe his leadership and we've seen that previously that he addressed those issues even during his election campaign. But right now we're looking at the moment that Benjamin Netanyahu is as a leader for the country and also it's in a hot seat because of what happened so help us with understanding that how do you think he's going to handle this on this personal and also on this professional level? Your thoughts? I will completely put aside any critiques or commentary I have about his previous performance up until this point. Mm. What he should be doing now is entering a unity government with uh, with the opposition partners, mm. which is exactly what Levi Ishko uh, did back in the day. Uh, uh, the opposition parties, uh, Gantz and uh, Lapid, have called for an emergency uh, coalition, uh, but their objection uh, to the current format was uh, Ben Gvir and Smotrich's participation. Mm -hmm. And uh, in my opinion, Netanyahu should have agreed quickly mm -hmm. to at least temporarily suspend these two individuals, one of whom proved to be criminally incompetent, in, in the handling of the situation. It's ultimately his responsibility. No matter what went wrong, who, who, you know, he, he, he's the boss, he's in charge. Mm. Uh, you can investigate and analyze the reasons and, uh, but for now it's his responsibility. So he should have done everything possible to make this emergency, uh, coalition pos um, po possible. These individuals add nothing to the handling of the emergency, whereas, uh, it's very important to, to see uh, the coalition, uh, uh, the United Front against terrorism and the putting symbolic putting aside of all the uh, preceding internal domestic differences, many of which are blamed for the contribution to this crisis to begin with. Uh, the fact that he has not done so yet uh, is concerning and I hope this changes very quickly because this is a drastically needed measure. With respect to the uh, more security oriented issues, he is facing a number of dilemmas. And I'm not sure that there is a right answer how to handle the military aspects, because all of them would come with upsides and downsides, which has, have nothing to do with leadership quality. They're just extremely uh, tough choices. But as a leader, what he should be doing now is reaching out to the international community, um, using this rare moment of uh, broad general goodwill to rally support, not a military support. Mm. Uh, Israel is not looking for uh, other people to, to fight Hamas physically, but intelligence sharing, understanding of a common problem 
And in response to the calls for de-escalation that came from many parties, uh, friends, allies, as well as uh, less friendly countries, he should be uh, calling them out for uh, solutions, alternative solutions, if they are uh, concerned about minimizing human casualties, then what actions can they take to deter Hamas from uh, any future engagements? Are they going to uh, put Hamas on a, uh, on an international sanctions list? Are they going to cut off the flow of weapons and uh, money and funding coming into uh, Hamas and sanction anybody who engages in that because Hamas has received broad support from various groups, Iran, first and foremost, Muslim Brotherhood operations, mm. Turkey, uh, huge money from Qatar, which has boasted about uh, supplying um, Hamas at various points with Israel's uh, agreement, by the way, and the U.S. role in that as well. And uh, we have seen Russia invite Hamas uh, delegation to Moscow, they invited Hamas, and mm. various Iranian proxies too have offered help, assistance, exchange of expertise, uh, we weapons sharing, and so forth at various points in time. All these actors, if the international community, if these countries are serious about both minimizing Israeli and Palestinian casualties and securing the region against terrorism, they should be cooperating with Israel and taking serious action and not playing games and pretending that Hamas is in any way a legitimate entity that deserves to govern mm. and has an, uh, and can have a free reign in in uh, in the region. Otherwise, their calls for de-escalation with Israel uh, are nothing but bluff and hypocrisy and Israel would be correct in ignoring them uh, completely. Mm. Uh, so if uh, Netanyahu wants to show leadership, now is the time to both uh, compel the sort of cooperation and build a coalition of real allies and also to uh, to push back against any criticism uh, and of Israel and its uh, security concern with this demonstration of, of reality. Irina, mm. again, we heard the statement from Benjamin Eneyahu, but also on Saturday, the Hamas political leader also spoke that this is, these are the words that he said, and also want to get your reaction on this. He said, the countries of normalization and the enemy will not provide you with security and a protection. The struggle will be determined in the field by the blood of martyrs and also the horrorism of the Palestinian people. And again, people believe that what happened in Israel could be considered as equivalency of September 11th of the United States. Now, by looking at or by listening to the words from the Hamas leader, Arena, what message do you think that we should get and we should understand? Particularly, it says the struggle will not be determined, um, excuse me, the struggle will be determined in the field by the blood of martyrs. What do you think of that? Uh, I think the message is very clear. Not only is there a genocidal intent against Israelis and anyone else who gets in the way, but there is a genocidal intent against the Palestinian people by Hamas. Mm. He intends to sacrifice as many civilians and brainwashed, indoctrinated, disaffected young people as he uh, as he needs to in order to make demonstrate a political point and achieve his uh, political agenda. And I think this is not nothing short of uh, complete disregard for human life, if not uh, something more sinister. 
Irina, I know you're very busy. I got two more questions before letting you go. Now, historically speaking, it's remarkable that it's remarkable that this is happening like 50 years ago, almost on the same day that, to the much surprise, the Arab attack on Israel that launched again. You mentioned in 1973, the Yom Kippur War. Now, Hamas doesn't have any interest in making peace with Israel. In other words, we'll look at the history and we'll look at the current political states. As you mentioned before, Hamas is not just a threat to the nation of Israel, it's a threat to the entire international community. Now, again, going back to the fact that Hamas had no interest in making peace with Israel. Is there any correlation between what happening today to 1973 and what lessons do you think the world should understand and should learn at this moment. There are two issues. There, some of, uh, one issue is technical in terms of uh, handling by Israel, and one is broader and geopolitical. I'll start with the with the Israel handling of the issue. In both cases, this mm. happened on a on a weekend and on a holiday when most people are away. When the military is more relaxed, many of the soldiers go home for the weekend or for the holidays with their families and. Of course, the guard is down. No matter how you want to look at it, it's going to be down. Uh, Hamas has a has had a pattern of escalation, and there were no visible external uh, mm. indicia that this would be the particular moment. Again, I don't know about the quality of intelligence, but let's assume that for whatever reason they didn't put it together and. Only last week, IDF's assessment publicly mm. was that Hamas was not prepared for war. Mm. So, for whatever reason, Hamas clearly had the understanding that Israel was not expecting a blow at this time. This is a different uh, situation from what happened with Egypt because uh, Israelis were receiving uh, human uh, intelligence. They were prepared. Uh, the, uh, the Egyptian military was right at the border. It was obvious. The issue was with the timing of the attack, when exactly it would take place, and whether Israel should listen, heed the warnings of the Americans, and not take preemptive action, which turned out to be a catastrophic mistake. Yes, it was caught unawares in a certain sense, but not nearly as much as people agree to. And we still, by the way, don't totally know the the reasons for the current failures. Mm. One issue, by the way, that decries the, uh, you know, uh, the complacency theory is a possibility of a cyber attack mm. affecting the response and res- affecting the intelli- the immediate local intelligence gathering. We're talking about Iron Dome potentially being either overwhelmed with the rockets or even affected by a virus, by a drone. And we were also talking about cameras and alarms all being systematically disabled, which points to some level of sabotage, which prevented the security services from getting accurate information on time. It was a technical issue. Some point to over-reliance on technology and under-reliance on uh, traditional corroborations of human intelligence but again right now it's really just too early to tell how much of each was a was a problem now when we're talking about a geopolitical issue mm. um in the 1970s the context of this um of attacks on israel uh first of all they were state driven 
Uh, PLO, of course, was a terrorist organization uh, that was backed by the Soviet Union and by China, mm. trained uh, militant li uh, liberation movement pushing for a state, but more 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 accurately being used as a tool um, against Israel by Arab states and by uh, by the communism communist parties of those respected uh, entities, but. Um, uh, Truth be told, the Arabs, the Arab states, were actually the ones uh, doing a great deal of the open aggression, not just terrorist organizations. Mm. This is not the case. Uh, not the case today. Israel has either normalized with a number of those uh, countries, including uh, Egypt, or it has uh, achieved some sort of understanding where there's simply no interest, mm. uh, even among tensions, in attacking Israel directly. We are, we do not expect a direct attack from a Saudi uh, military, for instance, or from uh, even from Iraqi military, even if we're expecting an attack from a militia that, mm. that, that is based in Iraq with the Iran's blessing and Iraqi government's comp uh, complacency. It's still a different picture. Uh, the Israel, the Palestinian issue was the peak of that crisis, it was being used as an excuse, as a scapegoat uh, for these states to avoid addressing their own internal failures and challenges. And uh, there was a great deal of upheaval uh, in those countries. Uh, today, for the last few years, we have seen a shift away from excessive focus on this issue to more economic regional integration, which mm -hmm. meant also a push for cooperation with Palestinians and Israelis on economic agendas, business, and so forth. So we are seeing uh, that some actors for whom uh, this 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 weaponization of the Palestinian issue was a raison d'etre, a way to advance their own agendas, become disillusioned with, the, with this development of more economy, more business, more pragmatic-oriented uh, relationships in the Middle East. And they decided to... Um, to push for a return to a terrorism-driven liberation movement, uh, kind of um, Palestinian identity politics-driven approach to displace this new dynamic. And we see that it has been succeeding, but this attack is not the pinnacle. It's not the only thing that made it successful. I think too many people are giving too much credit to this one incidents claiming that it has disrupted the expansion of Abraham Accords. It was certainly meant to have a chilling effect, to be sure, mm. but the dynamics in the Arab states have been negative for some time. For the past couple of years since the Biden administration, we have seen a chill. Uh, the all, for all the talk about Saudi-Israel normalization, we have not seen any direct talks between mm. Israeli and Saudi officials on this issue. And the media in Saudi Arabia has been quite negative. Same country has also uh, met a Hamas delegation around Ramadan time during the peak of these attacks in Israel. So the dynamic was already going in that direction, in part due to the support of Muslim Brotherhood and conservative types mm. uh, in Middle Eastern countries by the Biden administration, in part to, uh, thanks to the focus on Iran and uh, displacement of the Sunni-oriented dynamic towards the uh, uh, Iran and its support for the Islamic Revolution. It, Iran has grown tremendously in power. Uh, it has normalized with 
Arab states without having to make any concessions whatsoever. It has expanded its militias throughout the region. It expanded its influence and it has uh, put, uh, put a it has worked with Islamists, with all guard factions, conservative factions, nepotistic and corrupt factions in various countries to bring about displacement of governments or in some cases displacement of ruling factions. The reformists in Saudi Arabia who were pushing for modernization, for more liberal approach in the region and foreign and domestic policy have taken a severe hit thanks to Iran's expansion in that regard and we also saw general shifts towards russia authoritarian states from away from uh, from our uh, engagement from the us so this comes hand in hand with the anti-israel dynamic all of it is part of the same broader geopolitical package we should not think that israel is just one factor this is more part of a global issue and we should not make the mistake of uh, thinking that all these countries merely react to something Israel or US uh, do. They have their own agendas, their own dynamics, mm. and other actors are aware of that and work to exploit them as well. Mm. Irina, I want to wrap up our conversation again since you mentioned the role of US. Let's bring US into our conversation. The last question is how much do you think that what happened in Israel could actually slow down the progress? for the U.S. to continue to make progress in the Middle East. Again, as a fact, you mentioned before, and um, Saudi Arabia, it's a very much open to normalization with the nation of Israel and also no, U.S. has well, been... Allow me to interrupt. I actually said exactly the opposite. The optics are that it is open, but it actually is the opposite of open. Mm. Uh, so, so to preempt your question... I think certainly there is an attempt to slow down Abraham Accords, to disrupt the efforts at, at this, uh, at, at this even trying to happen. But mm. in my opinion, uh, I think it actually gives an excuse to those who already didn't want it to happen mm. to just finally put a formal end to it. The Biden administration has been pursuing contradictory goals in the Middle East. On the one hand, normalization with Iran, it has pushed Saudi Arabia towards Iran. Let's be honest with ourselves here, it's been pushing even China's role mm. because it thought that China could be an effective broker on this issue and it doesn't. It just doesn't want to be very involved in the Middle East and deal with the daily reality of various crises and uh, disputes and tensions between assorted entities. Uh, at the same time, it, try, it has tried to bring Israel into the fold and expand these relationships in order to take credit for them, but not in a way that that is effective. It has alienated the reformists. It had weakened the reformists, uh, particularly in Saudi Arabia, by attacking the crown prince. Biden has attacked him personally from the very beginning. Mm. That really uh, made it very easy for his enemies to rise up and to kind of take take the initiative on. If you look at the Saudi media internally, in Arabic, what they are writing in Arabic is quite different from what comes out in English and what is coming out in English these days is also not so great. Mm. But anywhere previously, only a few years ago, there were intellectuals and analysts floating uh, the ideas um, of normalization with Israel in Arabic public. And you could have this conversation with the 
with the with the Saudi government officials. Mm. Uh, today, internally, this is a taboo topic. Mm. It is saved only for when Westerners come in for meetings and international gatherings. So there's a double speak on this issue. There's a strong signal, but there's not a willingness to meet directly with the Israeli officials. There are talks about defense deals with the U.S. that everyone knows is not going to happen in the format that Saudis demanded. Uh, all of that is just an excuse to try to gain concessions from Biden because he is desperate. But uh, normalized with Iran, with China's and Russia's influence in those countries, it's very unlikely that there is any, you know, already it was a very difficult issue even previously. Saudi Arabia mm. uh, and other GCC states are very, very tribal societies. And uh, many of the tribes in Saudi Arabia are, are quite indisposed to formal diplomatic normalization, although they were willing to do business and engage in defense arrangements. Mm. Uh, so they have a lot of weight, more so in some ways than uh, members of the royal family. And in, in that sense, they can pressure the king, they can pressure the royal family, they can pressure the ruling, ruling circle. So that already was a major challenge that the Biden administration has not understood at all. They have zero understanding of the tribal societies. Our diplomats do not uh, live extensively in Arab states, and they just also do not do, don't engage beyond political circles that spoof in them the information that they want to hear. Mm. And same thing with the media. The media also does not understand the cultural issues, and therefore it reports things that these circles the messaging that they want message to the West, the signal. So it's a one-way communication. We don't really hear uh, what the real people are thinking and talking and what the real issues in Saudi Arabia even are. And Israel is certainly not a priority and has not been. Uh, but it has gotten significantly worse since then. The split even in these ruling political elite circles between the reformists and the anti-reformists, the conservatives, the old guards, the nepotist, corrupt factions who just want to hold on to power and willing to cut deals with anybody, even Iran, it has shifted in favor of those other people. We have seen that with Iran's normalization, with the flow of Russian and Chinese money into the country and, and, and the other way around as well. So Israel is by far, it, 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 it's not in anyone's interest to to do that they're getting everything they want from israel without having to make any sacrifices uh whatsoever without having to deal with public opinion and certainly without having to sacrifice their own values these people are not fans of israel mm. uh, these groups are quite conservative many of them have been indoctrinated for decades and uh they have used reformists uh to gain positive pr and investments and attention and now they are looking to uh, revert back to the way things were back in the 70s. And we are seeing that in the statement that came from Saudi Arabia that reflected the language from Iran and from Qatar, not from European Union, mm. not from India, not from other actors that were more or less, uh, you, know, you know, acknowledge the horror of terrorism while asking Israel to consider uh, human casualties on the Palestinian side. No, they basically blamed Israel for this attack not in terms of intelligence failure but morally they blame, uh, they engaged in moral victim blaming so biden's model of normalization is a chimera it's a fantasy it could not happen but 
these situations, uh, this attack and Iran's and Hamas uh, alliance, first of all, may, gave it a, an easy excuse for to put an end to this game mm. of pretend that we've been watching Pride for the past year in a very bizarre, uh, overwhelming, propagandistic way. And on the other hand, so it gives Saudis a way to exit gracefully. And um, the other issue it accomplishes, it has a chilling effect on those few inside, uh, active actors inside the region who were still hopeful for to actually accomplish something, make some sort of progress, even if not full normalization. It makes it more difficult for them, certainly, because mm. of the... Israel's loss of prestige, loss of view, uh, value as a strong defense uh, partner in defense, it limits what Israel can do even on the level it has achieved. Mm. Because it has achieved quite a lot in terms of defense arrangement with those countries, but now it is isolated, it is alone. None of them are going to fight against Iran or any of these militias or proxies. That is what we see. That is the real horror of the disruption of of what is happening now that Biden was ever really going to accomplish anything, having insulted a Saudi leadership, but that uh, but that even those things that had already been achieved are being rever reversed. Mm. Irina, again, I really appreciate your deep analysis. Of course, that we're looking at what happened in the nation of Israel, and also again, it's not just a threat to the nation of Israel, and also it's a threat to the international community. Now, again, at the end of the day, we agree that conflict or war should never be the solution to stability or to peace. And of course, we'll continue to keep the nation of Israel in prayer.